UK has changed almost beyond recognition in the last 30 to 40 years. The church has changed. Uh, cultural Christianity has all but vanished in the last few years, hasn't it? Uh, membership and attendance of churches has dwindled, and the church now is facing this pressure just to survive that would have been almost entirely alien to many of our spiritual forefathers. The church has changed, changed. Now, alongside these changes, what we've witnessed in recent years is something of a self um assessment, a self-evaluation from the church. We have evaluated our worship. We have evaluated our witness. But perhaps foremost in this self-assessment has been a thorough re-evaluation of the role of the pastor within the life of the church. Do you see what I mean? Like today up and down the country, people are asking this. In this almost new sort of post-Christian age, should the job of a pastor, should that not be adapted to meet some of the, the new changes? Like in this new, very, very dark eh, spiritual world eh, in the United Kingdom today, does the old picture of a pastor sitting for hours every day in his study, does that still cut it? Do we not now need, people ask, a different sort of pastor, maybe a more appealing view of a pastor, a more contemporary man, a more likable man, someone who's going to be out there all of the time. With real people, we are told, of course, that people are dying in their sins after all. Well, this evening, what we do is we turn to First Timothy chapter 4. And as we do so, what we are seeing here, now let's think about this. It is Paul writing to Timothy. Who is Timothy? Is he not effectively ask, acting as a minister? Where? In a godless and pagan culture in Ephesus in the first century. Now, what does Paul do here? Well, he sets out for Timothy not only what Timothy should be like as a pastor, you know, says something about his character, but also here what he does is set out the task which Timothy should be giving himself to in that godless and immoral culture. Now, let me see this before we get into this. I firmly believe that these short verses that we're looking at tonight, they could not be any more important to the church today in the United Kingdom. Like these verses, what we will look at this evening, these are not just crucial verses for ministers and for pastors. These verses here are crucial for all Christians to grasp and to cling to. So, I would invite you to ensure that you have your Bibles open in front of you just now to turn back to Timothy chapter 4 from verse 11, not to verse 15, as it says in the sheet, but to verse 16, the whole of that section that Gabriel read. And let's notice together three lessons that we learn here from the Apostle Paul. Three lessons from Paul. Okay. First thing we see is a, a pastor's godliness earns respect. 
So a pastor's godliness, it earns respect. Okay, I, I think at the, se- the beginning of the section here, we are showing both a problem and its solution. So you've got a problem and you've also got a solution here. So what is the problem? Well, can, can I just, if you follow me through verse 11 and a little bit of verse 12, just have a look at this. What does Paul say? So he's writing to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you eh, because you are young. What's, what's, what's going on there? Well, if you were a man, if you were a guy in Ephesus in the first century at this time, there were really only two age brackets that you could fall into. So it wasn't as it is today where you could be a teenager, you can be in your 20s and 30s, you can be middle-aged, you can be a, a, a pensioner. It wasn't like that. There was really, in Ephesus, only two categories of age. So you could either be, if you're a man, you could either be an elder or you can be a young person. And I love the cut-off. <laughs> the age cut-off, it's fine. The age cut-off was 40. Do you see the problem? Timothy is being called to a position to exercise authority in the life of the church, isn't he? Isn't that what's going on? Timothy is called to to what is a position of leadership amongst the church, amongst the people of God. And what is Timothy? He's a young person. Like at the time of writing here, Timothy is only in his 30s. And you see what's going on. The people in the church don't like this one little bit, do they? Like, who does this young guy think he is? Like, who does this whippersnapper, what does he think he's doing? What can we learn from him? How dare he? You see it? Now, you and I know this evening, don't we, that this is not an isolated instance, is it? The problem of a young pastor is actually quite a, a, it's quite a common problem. One of the, the commentators, commentators that I was reading on this, he tells the story of a man called Herbert Palmer. You may have heard of Herbert Palmer. Uh, Herbert Palmer was one of the ministers who was involved in the writing of the Westminster Confession of Faith. So we're going back a few years, okay? Um, here's the problem with Herbert Palmer. Herbert Palmer was a very, very short man, and he looked very, very young. And the writer... He tells the story of uh, uh, the instance where, where Palmer was invited to one of his friend's churches one Sunday uh, to preach. First time that Palmer had gone there. So he makes his way down to Canterbury, I think it was. And he goes in, he goes into the service, and what happens? Uh, Herbert Palmer is heckled. One of the women in the congregation uh, sees him being invited up to the pulpit each and here's this short young man making his way up to the pulpit and she shouts at the top of her voice, Alas! What can this child teach me? You see the problem? Pride. Pride can be wounded by a young pastor. So we see there's a problem here, don't we? Timothy is a young man in his position in Ephesus. Okay, we see the problem. What is the solution? To the problem then. Would you look at verse 12? Let me read it again. So we've seen the problem. What is Paul's solution? It says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But what's the solution? 
set an example for the believers in speech and life and so on. So do you see what he's saying? Like he's saying to Timothy, look, if, 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 if people are going to look down on you because of your years, what do you do? You ensure that these people eventually look up to you because of your godliness. That the remedy to this sort of spiritual problem in the life of the church is what? It was for Timothy to live a thoroughly Christ-centered and holy life amongst the people of God. Wasn't that, isn't that the remedy? And man alive, I mean, if you look at it, don't you see that it's an all-encompassing holiness that Timothy is called to? Would you look at verse 12? Would you look at the, the five phrases, the prepositional phrases that Paul calls for? I mean, he doesn't just leave it kind of general, does he? Look at this. He calls for godly speech. So what's Timothy got to be? He's got to be holy in his conversation. What else is it? A godly life, holiness and conduct. There's a godly love. So Timothy also has to sort of display an obvious obedience to the greatest commandment to love his God and his neighbor as himself. And a godly, what is it? A godly faith. Timothy is to be reliant on his Savior. But I think it's the fifth of the phrases that perhaps stands out. Because in this age where pastors and ministers are so often caught in sexual sin and adultery, what is it that Paul calls for from Timothy? Do you see? A godly purity. A purity in all things. I mean, this is some list, isn't it? And you notice what is missing. There's nothing said about a pastor being cool. Nothing said about a, a pastor having to be edgy in this sort of a culture or trendy. No, what's important? What's important? Godliness. A godliness that will combat even the problem of Timothy's youth. So we see the problem. We see the solution. But wait a minute. How do we apply this this evening? Well, I got a, 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 an email last week from Andrew Miller who should be familiar to, to many of us. Uh, Andrew Miller, the, the son of David Miller, Miller, the former minister of Cobham. Now, Andrew Miller is a, a Christian reach worker uh, down in Kent. And he sent me through uh, his prayer letter. Except he didn't really send it to me. I mean, it's addressed to me. But you see what Andrew Miller wants me to do with that prayer letter, don't you? He wants me to take it to the midweek prayer meeting, to read it out to the congregation midweek, so that not just myself, but that other people will pray for him. You see that that's what he wants, isn't it? But I want you to see that that is also what is going on here, isn't it? You see, yes, this letter is addressed to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. But what does Paul know is going to happen here? Paul knows that this letter is going to be taken by Timothy and it is going to be read aloud to the congregation in Ephesus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine you were there. Like imagine Timothy is your minister. 
And imagine that he's reading this letter out to you. How are you going to respond to what Paul says here? Like when Timothy reads aloud that Paul is saying, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. You're in the congregation. How are you going to respond? You're going to make sure, absolutely, you are not going to look down on Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, isn't it? And then when Paul calls for Timothy to lead this godly life amongst the people of God, how are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do? This is your pastor. What are you going to do? You're going to pray for Timothy, aren't you? I mean, you are hearing from Paul importance of holiness for pastors. You are going to be committing Timothy to God in prayer. So this evening, I'm asking you to take that into your life just now. Would you? From this point onward, never ever look down upon a preacher because of his years, because of his age. Instead, what do we do? We pray for our ministers. And we pray for all of the ministers that we know. And we pray for their their living, that it would be holy, that it would be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? This is not just about their well-being, is it? Why is Paul making such a stress here? Why is he focused on this? Because it is important for the well-being of the church up and down the land. We see here that a pastor's godliness gains respect. Second thing that we know, a second lesson that we learn here from Paul is that a pastor's preaching is all important. A pastor's preaching is all important. Here, you can see what we're doing, can you not? You can see what, how we have to move here. We deal now with the task. You know, we've seen what, what a minister is called to be. What would you say a minister is called to be in light of this? Godly. But now we've got to think about what a minister is to do. And here Paul emphasizes one element of Timothy's work in Ephesus above everything else. He speaks about Timothy's preaching. So this is what I want us to do just now. I know it's hot in here. Believe me, I know that. This is what I want to do. Just to highlight just a few things that he says about preaching. First thing, we see here that preaching should be, must be, Bible-based Okay, what do we read earlier on? Um, you can see why this evening I maybe uh, passed on the reading uh, to Gabriel tonight. He did very well with, with the names, Gabriel, I have to say. Uh, but what do we read? We read Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, what goes on in Nehemiah chapter 8? Um, there's a big pulpit that is built by the people of God. And Ezra, he gets up into this pulpit... He takes a scroll, he takes the word of God, and he reads it aloud to the gathering of the people of God before him. Wonderful. What happens after that, though? Did you notice? A lot of the names of Levites. Now, the Levites, what they did after that was go in and amongst the gathered people of God, and they explained the reading. They gave the meaning of the text to the gathered church. And wait a minute, isn't that exactly what Paul calls for from Timothy? Verse 13 here, Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, 
devote yourself to what is it? The public reading of scripture and to preaching. Now hang on, do you see that those two things, the public reading of scripture and preaching, those things are tied together by the Apostle Paul. Like, do you see what Paul is doing? He's, he's not calling for Timothy just to ensure that he preaches uh, something in the life of the church in Ephesus. What does he want? He wants Timothy to preach the word. You know, to, to actually sort of unpack and to proclaim that red word of God. And isn't there a lesson in this for us? I mean, ask yourself, what is it that the church in the United Kingdom, in our pagan society, what is it that needs most of all? Like our, our greatest need. I mean, is it is it preaching that is airy-fairy? Is it preaching that is about our emotions? Is it preaching that is man-centered? Is it preaching that is opinion-based? No, in this culture, in any culture, our greatest need is preaching that is rooted firmly in the character and the principles and the word of Almighty God. The same thing about the preaching is that it should be didactic. And what does that mean? Well, Peter and Marina uh, were chatting to me this week about a church that they visited when they were on holiday. I hope I get this right, Marina. Um, but they go into the church and the sermon, or for the sermon, the minister read a very short poem that he had composed. And then he uh, a couple of things he said about a couple of pictures that he had brought along. And that was it. Now, is that what we need? Is that... Is that what the church should be doing? Well, would you look at the next word that Paul says in verse 13, please? Look at it. We've said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching. What is the next word? To teaching. Now, I want you to understand this, friends. In that word, we are seeing tonight the divine emphasis on the intellect in preaching. Like the Apostle Paul here is not just calling for Timothy to base his preaching in the Word. It's bigger than that. Paul is also calling for Timothy to stretch the congregation and to challenge the congregation and to preach doctrinally, let us say, and for Timothy not to be afraid of, of using biblical words and biblical principles and biblical ideas that need explanation. And isn't that a challenge for us? Especially if again, we think about the culture into which Paul is writing. Where is Timothy? He's in Ephesus. And it's pagan. And it's idolatrous. And what have we seen? Even there. Like even in that sort of dark and dead culture. What is this? Paul is demanding an in-depth approach to the preaching of the word. What a lesson for the church in the 21st century. Isn't it? I mean, isn't it a, a lesson for us? What does God want even in our culture? He wants his people to be taught. 
He wants people to learn and learn even the very difficult and challenging elements of his character, his work, and the Christian faith. So preaching must be Bible-based. It should be didactic. A third thing is that preaching should be prioritized. Now, I would ask you to do this with me. You've got a short section of a few verses there, but do this. Would you, would you scan the verses and just note how many times Paul tells Timothy to dedicate himself to this task of preaching? Now, I'll, I'll point them out if you look with me through. If you look at verse 13, you've got devote yourself to preaching. So there's one. Verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which surely in this context must be to do with preaching. Look at verse 15. Be diligent in this task. Same verse, verse 15. Listen to that one. Give yourself wholly to, to preaching. Verse 16. Watch your doctrine or watch your teaching closely. Then the same verse, verse 16. Look at that. Persevere. Look, isn't it, isn't it staggering? Like when you line up all of those imperatives together, isn't it quite incredible what Paul is saying to Timothy? He's just saying, look, Timothy, you, you give it all. Like you give your life over to the preaching of God's word. And so the message for the church is pretty clear. Is it not? Like in light of this, if I was to ask you, what do you think the main task of a minister is? What would you say to me? If you had that in front of you, what would you say to me? The main task of a minister is to what? It is to preach the word of God. Like even in a culture like ours, that's the minister's main job. In fact, especially in a culture like ours, when there's so much idolatry and so much paganism about, this is the minister's main job. And so do you see what that means for, for you, for the congregation? We tonight need to embrace the importance of this task. I say to you tonight, no matter, we've got such a turnover in this congregation. So no matter where it is that God takes you, no matter what church it is, no matter what part of the world, do this. Encourage your minister to preach the word in season and out of season. See, if you you ask the minister to, to do something else, to turn his hand to something else in, in the congregation, and he turns to you and says, I'd love to, but I can't. Because I am preparing for Sunday. That is not an occasion to roll your eyes. That is an occasion to rejoice and to thank God. It is. I mean, what is it we're seeing here that is most important in a culture that is dark? What is it that is most important to the culture in the UK? The most important thing for ministers is that they preach. Third thing, last thing. We see that a pastor's ministry has eternal consequences. Hey, many of you are uh, familiar with the 1998 film Armageddon. <laughs> uh, with, see if I can remember who it's with. Uh, Bruce Willis, I think, and Ben Affleck. If you are not familiar with that film, 
And I don't blame you if you're not. Uh, The story is rather far-fetched. A meteor, giant meteor, is hurtling towards the earth at a million miles an hour. And the only hope for mankind is a group of sort of regular drilling engineers who are going to be sent up in a shuttle to, I think, bore a hole in the meteor and to insert a nuclear bomb into this meteor. Now, just before they go up into space, these drilling engineers are stopped and they are spoken to and they are reminded of just why this is so important that the fate of millions and millions, billions of people hangs in the balance. Now, isn't that what Paul is doing at the end of this portion of Scripture? Like he's told Timothy's task, preach, teach. But now, do you see what he does? He reminds Timothy of just why that task is so incredibly important. Why it is a life and death situation. Look what he says in verse 15. Persevere in this, Timothy. Persevere. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and you will save your hearers. Now, Henry and I were talking about First Timothy this week and we agreed that we have had to tackle some difficult verses in First Timothy. That's no different, is it? What is Paul saying here? Timothy is going to save his hearers. He were, we thinking it is God and God alone that does the saving work. But you see what it is that Paul is saying here, do you? It is God and God alone. It is Christ and He alone. It is the work of the Spirit and He alone to save. But God uses means. He uses methods. And what is one of His principal methods? Hmm? He uses the preaching of his word by the pastors of his churches. And that is why Timothy must give everything to preaching. And so in light of that, I will end with this one essential element about preaching that I did not mention earlier on. I'll close with this. What did we say preaching was? We said that it was Bible-based, must be, it's didactic, it is it's a priority. But look at this, if, if preaching is to save, what must preaching be? It must surely be Christ-exalting. And you see why that is, do you not? It is because he, the Lord Jesus Christ, more than any minister, what has our Lord done? He's lived a godly life, hasn't he? He has lived that life of perfect obedience that, first of all, God demands for salvation, and then second of all, that you and I cannot live because of our sin. And what else has our Lord Jesus Christ done? Unlike any minister, he has remained entirely dedicated to his calling, hasn't he? He saw before him the sin-bearing, atoning death that he would have to live to save you. And what did he do? Did he swerve? Did he move? Did he fall back? Did he run away? No. 
He set his face resolutely on Jerusalem and he ascended Calvary Hill and he did it for you. He did it for you. So friends, what is it the church in the United Kingdom in the 21st century needs most of all from its ministers? It needs to be shown Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't it need to be shown the Lord Jesus Christ? So let's pray that that would be so here and across the country. Why? So that many, many, many people might be saved through the preaching, through the hearing of the Word of God. Let's pray.